Ask not what your country can do for you. There's a last time I'm going to be in the lead. The Giants won the pass. Lepina, oh, you little mouse, so won't you go away? One ringy-dingy. Hand off to Griffin, cracks the middle, gets the five. Touchdown, Ohio State. Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plane. I'm interested to know, Gracie, who's your choice? Need you ask, George. Time now for spinning my dad's vinyl. Here with all his skips, scratches, and pops is my dad, Frank Vaccarello. Thanks, sweetie, and thank you for tuning in to episode three of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. Well, I had no idea my dad had tonight's album selection in his collection. In fact, when I started researching it, I didn't even know an album like this even existed. And it really came as a complete surprise to me that my dad would have it in his collection because I know that I would have played this a lot. The entire 14-minute first side is a special performance of one of the most popular pieces in music history. But we're going to start with the last cut of side two. Hey, George. A clock on the collar here yet? Nope, they're not here yet. Those fellows are always late. Tell you what we do. While we're waiting for them, let's take the girls and uh, the buck dance to strike up the band. Sure. All right, kids, come on. Strike up the band. Hurry up. <laughs> I sang bass for 10 years at the Metropolitan. Opera House? Museum. <laughs> All my family are musicians. Listen, you may come from a very musical family, yes. but you still don't know the lyrics to this show. I'd know the lyrics if you wrote some notes in there like you wrote in your Rhapsody in Blue. Listen, you'll sing the Mademoiselle song that I wrote for you and like it. I like all your songs. How are you going to argue with an impresario like that? I left my Mademoiselle in New Rochelle, but what the hell? Yeah. 
and there you have actually two different recordings that were sort of smashed together for this cut on the album. The first part of that was from a rehearsal of the Broadway musical Strike Up the Band, which opened in January of 1930. It was music composed by George and Ira Gershwin. You heard Gershwin at the piano there, along with the comics Bobby Clark and Paul McCulloch. The um, recording techniques whether acoustic or electrical, during the 20s and 30s left a good deal to be desired, but sound film recording was advanced for its day because of the imaginative perspicacity of Fox movie tone newsreel men. Two very exciting moments in the life of George Gershwin were preserved on sound film, and you just heard them, so let me explain what you heard. The first of these presents the sound and even the charged atmosphere of a Broadway show in its rehearsal stage. The show was Strike Up the Band, starring the comedy team of Clark and McCulloch, which opened in New York on January 14, 1930, and proved to be the first of two Gershwin hit shows that year. The other was Girl Crazy, produced the following October. In December 1929, the Fox Movie Tone News cameras were set up in the theater to film an actual rehearsal of Strike Up the Band. It opens with George Gershwin at the piano playing a few bars of Hanging Around With You, after which he inquires of dance director George Hale of the absence of Clark and McCulloch, who, like true comedians, are late for rehearsal. Gershwin then decides to rehearse the girls in a buck dance to the tune of Strike Up the Band, which is followed by the noisy arrival of the comedians. Gershwin and Clark exchange a few lines of banter, Gershwin proving himself to be a pretty adept straight man by way of introduction to a rendition of Mademoiselle in New Rochelle by Clark and McCulloch with the composer at the piano. The fine lyrics to the song, as were all the lyrics in the show, are the work of Ira Gershwin. This recreation of a rehearsal is a wonderful, unique document in the sound of one of the theater's magical moments. And what a great pleasure it was to hear this and then read these liner notes and find out how really special this recording was. The other part of that tune that you heard was one of the most recorded and played songs in music history, especially in jazz. So I was surprised to read on the cover that this is the only known recording of George Gershwin playing his own tune, I Got Rhythm. One of Gershwin's own personal song favorites was I Got Rhythm, a song from the second hit of 1930, Girl Crazy. He included it among a group of songs published as George Gershwin's songbook. He used it as the basis for a very interesting work for piano and orchestra, the I Got Rhythm Variations, which he dedicated to his brother Ira. In short, I Got Rhythm is practically a Gershwin trademark. So when the Fox cameras were set up to film the opening of the Manhattan Theater on August 5, 1931, among the celebrities present to mark the occasion was George Gershwin, whose contribution to the festivities was, naturally enough, a brilliant interpretation of I Got Rhythm. As was his custom at parties, Gershwin improvised bravura variations on the spot. It was indeed fortunate that sound cameras were able to record this impromptu performance for posterity. And absolutely, most everybody is familiar with the song, I Got Rhythm. Okay, let's talk about today's selection itself. It's the original performance 
George Gershwin plays the Rhapsody in Blue. It's on the 20th Fox, 20th Century Fox label. It was released in 1958, even though the music on it was recorded between 1920 and 1931. When I looked at the Discog value, it was actually varied. It varied from $0.99 cents to $35, obviously, depending on the condition. The median value was only about $4.97. Couldn't find it anywhere else. The only copy that I saw uh, for sale was on Discogs. Uh, my dad's collection, the media is eh, good, not quite good, a little bit of hissing. Uh, the sleeve is in poor condition, especially since he has one of his stamps on there. So I'm only going to value my dad's album at $1.50. So before we get to the main course tonight, let's hear music Gershwin did not write from a 1920 Broadway musical. Again, Blues, written by Jerome Kern for the 1920 Broadway musical The Night Boat. Okay, let's learn about today's artist. George Gershwin, born Jacob Bruskin Gershwitz on September 26, 1898. He was an American composer, pianist, and painter whose compositions spanned both popular and classical genres. Among his best-known works are the orchestral compositions Rhapsody in Blue, An American in Paris, the songs Swanee and Fascinating Rhythm, the jazz standard I Got Rhythm, and the opera Porgy and Bess, 
which gave birth to the hit Summertime. He began his career as a song plugger. That's a piano player employed by department and music stores and song publishers in the early 20th century to promote and help sell new sheet music, which is how hits were advertised before good quality recordings were widely available. But soon he started composing Broadway theater works with his brother Ira Gershwin and with Buddy De Silva. He moved to Paris intending to study with Nadia Boulanger, but she refused him. He substantially composed an American in Paris, returned to New York City and wrote Porgy and Bess with Ira and DuBose Hayward. Initially a commercial failure, it came to be considered one of the most important American operas of the 20th century and an American cultural classic. Gershwin moved to Hollywood and composed numerous film scores. He died in July of 1937 of a malignant brain tumor. His compositions have been adapted for use in film and television, with several becoming jazz standards, recorded and covered in many variations. Okay, time for today's interesting side note. The recording of Rhapsody in Blue that you are going to hear today was not actually George Gershwin playing a piano into a recording device. The recording device was actually something that captured it so it could be put on a player piano roll. I'm sure you've seen them in, in especially old Western uh, movies, where it's a roll of paper with a bunch of holes in it, and you pop it into the piano, and the piano plays itself. Now, I was first exposed to player piano rolls uh, back in the 1970s and 1980s. My dad was the accountant for a piano company, uh, a store in Cleveland. And in the back room, Bill Cap had thousands of piano rolls and it was so cool my while my dad and he were off in the office office doing you know whatever they're doing with the with the books um i was allowed to take some of the player piano rolls out and pop them in and i got to play some of the coolest music doing that so i was exposed to this technology a long time ago now Quite a number of recordings of Gershwin's recordings resulted from one of his lesser-known activities during his youth, the cutting of player piano rolls under his own name and several pseudonyms. Even as a youngster, Gershwin had a considerable reputation as a pianist. By the time he was 15, he was working as a professional pianist in Tin Pan Alley. Later, he went on to serve as an accompanist for such big-name vaudeville stars as Louis Dresser and Nora Bays, and he also worked as rehearsal pianist for Broadway shows. Around January 1915, Gershwin began making piano rolls. Within 10 years, when he made his last, he had become one of the most celebrated American composers in demand to write show scores as well as works for the concert hall. Okay, I promise. We're going, to, we're going to get to the tune that you came to hear in a few minutes. But first, I want to know if you can do this. Thank you. 
Snap Your Fingers at Care, which was recorded at the Greenwich Village Follies of 1920. Okay, let's talk about the song Rhapsody in Blue and its place in American music history. Rhapsody in Blue is a 1924 musical composition by the American composer George Gershwin for solo piano and jazz band which synthesizes elements of classical music with jazz-influenced effects. The composition was commissioned at the request of band leader Paul Whiteman. The piece received its premiere in the concert An Experiment in Modern Music, which was held on February 12, 1924. It was performed by Whiteman and his band with Gershwin playing the piano. The work was orchestrated by Ferde Grofe several times, including the original 1924 scoring, the 1926 theater orchestra setting, and the 1942 symphony orchestra scoring. He later claimed that while on a train journey to Boston, the thematic seeds for Rhapsody in Blue began to germinate in his mind. Gershwin told biographer Isaac Goldberg in 1931, quote, It was on the train with its steely rhythms, its rattle bang that is so often so stimulating to a composer. I frequently hear music in the very heart of the noise, and there I suddenly heard, and even saw on paper, the complete construction of the rhapsody, from beginning to end. No new themes came to me, but I worked on the thematic material already in my mind and tried to conceive the composition as a whole. I heard it as a sort of musical kaleidoscope of America, of our vast melting pot, of our unduplicated national pep, of our metropolitan madness. By the time I reached Boston, I had definite plot of the piece, as distinguished from its actual substance. What's really interesting about that story is um, I took a history of jazz class back in college and the professor really talked about the really good songs that really had um, a long length of time. They stuck around for a long time were songs that had that kind of rhythm, that sound. So it was really interesting to read about Gershwin talking about how he came up with Rhapsody in Blue. Now, before we get ready to play what you came here to hear, um, most of you are probably familiar with the orchestra version of this song. In fact, United Airlines started using pieces of it in their commercials back in 1980, so I'm sure you've heard of it. And you're also very familiar with that opening clarinet wail that Gershwin actually worked on with that clarinetist in that very first 1924 orchestra. In fact, we're going to play that here for you real quick. 
One of the firms for which Gershwin made piano rolls was the Aeolian Company, developers of the remarkable duo art piano and rolls. Although the conventional player piano made little allowance for nuances of expression, the duo art was so designed as to be able to reproduce not only the exact notes, but also the shadings of dynamics, loudness and softness, and pedaling. Thus was the original performance so accurately reproduced that Aeolian used to stage blindfold tests during the 20s, challenging the judges, usually music critics, to determine whether they were listening to the pianist in a live performance or the duo art. Is it Memorex or is it live? <laughs> Happily, among the roles cut by George Gershwin for the duo art was a complete performance of the Rhapsody in Blue. Originally written for the piano, the Rhapsody in Blue, in the form most of us know it, was orchestrated by Ferde Grofe, who worked from Gershwin's suggestions in the manuscript. It is interesting to hear the composition as originally conceived by Gershwin and as he himself liked to play it.
Rhapsody in Blue, performed by George Gershwin, recorded to vinyl from a piano roll. Well, that was certainly a treat. From listening to that performance of one of the most famous pieces of music to listening to a couple other cuts, including I Got Rhythm, which even I've played in my lifetime. Okay, it was with high school marching band, but it still counts, right? And of course, remembering that time with my dad uh, at Bill Cap Piano, listening to all of those piano rolls. So, thank you very much for listening to Volume 3, original performance of Rhapsody in Blue, however you were able to. If you want more information about this podcast, head over to spinningmydadsvinyl.com. I'll be back next week with all my skips, scratches, and pops for Volume 4, Harry James' Greatest Hits. Go with the flow, my friends. <laughs>